I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. I want to tell you about a case that I had, and it was back a number of years, but man, it was just insane. And it really showed me the importance of why you need to have a good judge in your case. And it just hammered home how clients at times won't tell you the whole story and things just get all crazy. So I had this client and his, we'll call him Mr. Gary, just for privacy reasons, even though uh, that wasn't his name, but the case was an actual case. You see, Mr. Gary was at work and he told me he brought his ammunition for the target range to work and he brought the box of ammo into his office and he didn't bring any gun or anything but nonetheless people in the office flipped out that he would have ammo and this and that and he ended up getting criminally charged with possession of hollow nose ammunition which in new jersey is a felony level offense carries up to 18 months in state's prison if you possess Holonos ammo, unless you're within certain exemptions. And he was charged with terroristic threats. Terroristic threats. So this Gary guy, I'm talking to him, like, you know, and I immediately feel it's one of those uh, persecute the responsible gun owner type deal. They don't understand guns. They're overreacting, et cetera, and I'm happy to represent folks like that. I mean, the guy just wanted to bring his ammo and go to the target range and shoot afterwards. I get it. Well, the case was uh, indictables, meaning they were felony-level charges. Terroristic threats were third degree, looking at up to five years in state's prison, the Holonos, 18 months. And I was able to convince the prosecutor that he was actually legal for Holonos because of the exemption and he was eventually going to the target range and that he could fit into that. And that he never did anything that was actually threatening in any terroristic threatening way. Maybe there was friction between him and his and his fellow co-workers, but not to rise to that third degree level. And after doing a significant amount of work in that area, the prosecutor downgraded Mr. Gary's charges in which the prosecutor made them disorderly persons offenses. And in New Jersey, that's the equivalent of uh, minor misdemeanor. And what it what he did was he he dismissed the Holonos bullet charge and he downgraded the terroristic threats to harassment. Harassment, which is a Petty disorderly persons offense, one of the lowest level of offenses in Jersey where your max jail exposure is 30 days. It's no longer a felony. It's no longer a gun disqualifier. You won't lose your gun rights unless it's domestic violence, which this wasn't. So I got him in a safe zone out of felony land and major state prison and very happy to get it down to municipal court on just a little PDP, as we say. But he still believed that he was not guilty of even harassment. I had no problem with that. So 
we you wanted to try the case, and that's his right, and I'm happy to try it. So we tried the case. Now, the trial took place in municipal court in front of a municipal court judge. There's no jury because you don't have a right to jury unless you're facing over six months jail. And he wasn't. The max was 30 days if he even got any jail at all. And the state presents their case. Now, when the state finished presenting their case of the employees complaining about Mr. Gary and why they felt they were harassed by him, the state rested, and I realized right then and there, without a doubt, that the state had failed to make their prima facie, their failed to meet their proofs because one of the things that the state has to do when they prosecute a case is they have to ID the defendant. They have to identify who it is. Part of the proof is the identification. And the prosecutor here failed at any time to do the classic, and do you see Mr. Gary here? And then they say, yes, he's the guy next to counsel with the bow tie or whatever. And then let the record reflect that the witness has identified the defendant as the perpetrator, etc. If you don't do an identification, if the state fails to identify, then they failed in their obligation under the Constitution to prove each and every element beyond a reasonable doubt. You got to have an identification done. They didn't do it. It's fundamental. It was an absolutely fundamental mistake they made. So I immediately moved after the state rested and were done. I moved to dismiss it because the state failed to identify the uh, defendant, which is absolute classic criminal law 101. And the judge, instead of dismissing it, which is what should have happened, oh, well, um, I think it was enough. Um, they talked about him. They did. No, you got to ID the defendant. And uh, therefore, I'm finding him guilty, and I'm giving him a $100 fine. I'm like, oh, it's wrong. They shouldn't have convicted him. Okay, but it's a $100 fine on a most minor of offenses that won't affect his gun rights. Mr. Gary, on hearing this verdict, flips out, like flips out, flips out and starts shouting religious stuff, you know, the wrath of the Lord and blah, 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 all of that. I'm like, oh, my God, calm down, man. It's a $100 fine on a, you know, oh, he's just going nuts. And I said, relax, relax. You know, we can do an appeal. We'll do an appeal. You know, so said to him, if you want to appeal it, you know, can, and here's what an appeal will cost. Well, I don't have any more money. I said, okay. Well, you still have a right to an appeal. Now, as an attorney, I have to file the appeal on a criminal case, the notice of appeal, because it's a client's right, and I need to make sure that that gets done so his right to appeal is preserved. But I called the public defender since he'd had no more money, and I said, you know, he wants to appeal his conviction. Would After I file the notice, oh, no problem. We'll handle it for him. He can't afford it, and we'll handle it. So file the notice, and we'll handle it. 
I'm like, okay. So file the notice. Do it. Next thing you know, I get a call from public defender. Oh, look, we're we're really sorry, but since it's only a fine, public defender doesn't do appeals on just fines. There has to be uh, an element of incarceration on these low-level offenses, so we're not going to handle it. I'm like, oh, my God. So now I filed the notice. They said they would handle it. Now they won't. He can't afford to pay me, but I'm kind of stuck, and I'm like, all right. I'll do the appeal. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm I'm in. I'm stuck. Okay, not a problem. So the appeal goes up to Superior Court because in New Jersey, the appeal doesn't go directly to the appellate court. It goes to the Superior Court from Municipal Court or District Court. And that's where there's a, quote, trial de novo, and the uh, Superior Court judge will make a ruling on what occurred below. So I'm like, okay, we're moving ahead on this. In the middle of doing this, and even though I'm feeling I'm getting screwed here, but okay, this guy files an ethics complaint against me. I'm like, what? What? Like, it's insane. For what? For taking his felonies down to a DP? For ending it with a $100 fine? When he's like, what? For nothing. There was nothing. It was idiotic. Well... In a way, I said, good, because now with this, I can't continue to represent him, obviously, because I am, I'm unethical or something in his view. Okay, it's conflict. So I go to the Judge Superior Court, and I move to get removed from the case, and this Mr. Gary is arguing, no, no, I want Mr. Knappen to stay on the case. And the judge's like, you filed an ethics complaint. Why do you want it? No, 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 I want him, but I didn't want to. Just like, no, no, no. It's a conflict. You're done, Mr. Knappen, you're accused, you're done. I'm like, thanks, I'm out of this, right? Well, I figure, okay, I'm done with this. So the ethics, the way it works at Jersey, it goes right to a review, a fast review, where folks, they immediately rejected it, saying, this guy should be giving you a, a prize for what you did for him. They couldn't believe how I got all these charges done. There's, you did nothing wrong. They just they tossed it out without even going any further because there was nothing to it. It was outrageous. But I guess it did a job because it got me out, and I figured, okay, it's another sad story, but we'll move on. Well, next thing you know, a couple months later, the police come to my office, and they know me in town. They're like, uh, we have an order from the judge from Superior Court on your Mr. Gary case. I'm like, what? What, what are you coming to me? What do you mean? The judge has ordered protection, police protection, for everyone associated with this case. The pro After he was convicted again in Superior Court, he went absolutely crazy making threats, and he's not allowed back in the court. The judge was, uh, I think, held him in contempt even, and the judge ordered protection for everybody, including you and the prosecutor in this case. I'm like... Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I said, look, I appreciate it, but uh, trust me, I can take care of myself if I need to, but thank you for this. I'm like, oh, what a, can you believe it? Now this thing's, this thing. So then at some point I get a call from Mr. Gary. He calls you. I'm like, yes, we're done. What do you, he goes, well, I'm calling you because I want you to know that I, I killed my brother. I'm like, what? You killed your brother? What are you telling me? That, well, I'm in a mental institution right now, and that's why. I said, leave me alone. 
You're in an institution. We're done with the case. He's telling me he killed his brother. I got an order of protection against him. I don't want anything to do with this guy. It's insane, right? Right. So he brings his own pro se appeal to the appellate division now himself. And he figures he's going to keep me in the loop, even though I don't want to know anything about it. And he sends me a copy of his brief. I could not believe his brief. I'm not kidding. His brief was like 30 pages of absolute nonsense in which, and I'm not kidding now, every line going down every page was a different color. It went red, blue, green, orange, purple, back to red, blue, green, orange, purple, and back and red. Every single line, a different color. 30 pages of a box of Crayola crayons. When you flip the, I couldn't believe it. And it made no sense. It was pure insanity of un, uh, just, you, you couldn't add, make any, you couldn't, there was no rational way to read it at all for this brief from Mr. Gary. And I'm like, oh no. So I'm like, just leave me alone. But no, he served me with it too. So I could see, I guess how you're supposed to do a brief, huh? So here's the deal. So the appellate court, they now have to make their decision, and they do. And they send me notice of their decision. And what they decided was as follows. Some clerk at the appellate division, some smart law clerk there, decided to ignore the pro se multicolored brief of defendant Mr. Gary and instead actually read the transcript from the original trial and the judges agreed on appeal that the judge in the municipal court was absolutely wrong and should have dismissed state's case not guilty finding for their failure to identify the defendant. Folks, if the original judge had just done their job, had known the law and done what was correct, none of this would have happened. What a waste of time, of police, of court, of judiciary, flipping every party out. I mean, just all that insanity because that municipal court judge didn't know how to do his job right. So that is a true story of Mr. Gary and how crazy things can get when you're a gun lawyer. When we come back, I got a real treat for you. I'm going to talk to you about homemade guns and improvised weapons. Cool stuff. See you when we come back. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, 
firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey there. Uh, You know my good friend Mitch Rosen. He makes my favorite holsters. And he is a good friend of mine. And I love my EDC carry rig from Mitch Rosen. Uh, and uh, this is because I really believe in and love his products. He's not paying me to do this. I just want you to know about this type of quality, and uh, there's nothing like it, folks. You should check out Mitch Rosen Extraordinary Gun Letter. It truly is extraordinary. There's no other rig that I want to carry. I'm, I'm spoiled by his, his, his products, man. It's great. It holds the gun without even a keeper strap. You can draw it, put it back. It's just amazing. It's like magic. It's wonderful. And when you get one of his holsters, make sure you get the belt as well because that really supports the holster. Super strong, sturdy belt that he makes. And uh, the combo really makes the rig. It just carries like a dream. It's top-notch. Can't say enough good things about it. I love talking about it because it really means a lot to me. So my personal recommendation, go check out Mitch Rosen Gun Leather at MitchRosen.com. You won't be disappointed, and you'll see why myself and so many others rave about his holsters. And the other thing I want to mention, important, is, uh, you know, this is how we can communicate here on Gun Lawyer. It's the ways that we can help keep fellow gun owners from becoming what I call law-abiding criminals. Tell your friends to listen to Gun Lawyer Radio. Have them subscribe to the podcast. Visit our website at gun.lawyer. I'd really love for you to take a look at our inner circle on our website at gun.lawyer. Sign up for the inner circle. You get the inside from me, Evan Knappen. I'll be giving you tricks and tips and insights and fun. Sign up. It's free. Go to gun.lawyer. In other words, .lawyer is like .com, only it's .lawyer. So it's www.gun.lawyer. Join our inner circle. This helps me communicate with you, touch base, let you know what's going on because big tech, they hate us. They don't want us to get the word out. They try to suppress us, as I'm sure you know. And this is a way around them so we can stay in touch and deal with these issues and help keep our responsible gun owners responsible and not turned into law-abiding criminals. We have big issues coming up. You know, these executive orders by Biden, they're going to be hitting in with the, his demand for 60 day to uh, do the review and to get the Justice Department to basically promulgate laws by way of abusing the administrative code. We got really serious things. We got this ATF director who's a horror show, this uh, David Chipman, you know, former Waco agent, you know, there and a former, uh, and he was a top guy at uh, Gifford Center. He's a 
rabid anti-gunner with a background as ATF at Waco, Ruby Ridge, etc. I mean, can you imagine this guy is head of ATF? It's just a horror show waiting to happen. And the things he's put out, put out lies about Waco, absolute lies. I said, you know, helicopters being shot down with 50 BMGs. And this guy, he just is uh, horrible. So you'll hear more about him and you'll see we got a fight on our hand. So anyway, please subscribe, join the inner circle. Help me get the word out about Gun Lawyer Podcast. It's important and I'm depending on you. Now, what I mentioned before is that I want to tell you about homemade guns and improvised weapons. And, you know, we're dealing now with this whole ghost gun thing. And there's a push by Biden in one of his executive orders to try to get regulatory efforts on so-called ghost guns where in order for them to be sold or transferred, they need background checks. And I don't even know how they're going to structure it. When we finally promulgate this thing, We'll take a look and I'll be able to explain to you. It's just, it doesn't even make sense what he's saying to do, but that shouldn't surprise anybody. But when you get down to the basics of what a ghost gun is, all a ghost gun is is a homemade firearm. Americans have been making firearms in their homes since before the revolution. Okay, we've been building our own guns. And under federal law, you're allowed to build your own firearm under federal law. Now, there are states that restrict it. Of course, New Jersey does because they restrict just about everything. But you're allowed under federal law. And so the question becomes, what is a homemade firearm in terms of its impact in our, in, 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 to, our, to our gun rights, you see, to our gun rights? Well, you need to be aware that some improvised firearms are prohibited. Like, for example, believe it or not, Vermont actually bans zip guns, whatever that means. And, you know, you know, the 50s, you know, the idea of a zip gun, a homemade gun, but they're not real specific on what a zip gun even is, but uh, Vermont does ban zip guns. So you got to be careful with your state. But under federal law, you can build your own firearm. And because of that, no gun ban can ever be successful. I don't care what they ban, what law they pass, people can always build their own. And one of the classic build-your-owns is called the Four Winds Shotgun, W-I-N-D-S, Four Winds Shotgun. You can go on the Internet and look up Four Winds Shotgun. You'll see it's it's a slam-bang shotgun made for what basically costs you 20 bucks in supplies at Home Depot. And the four-wind shotgun will fire a 12-gauge shell. One tube goes inside the other, and you pump it back like a trombone, and boom, when it hits, it goes off and fires a 12-gauge shell. Now, I'm not recommending you build these. I'm sure there's danger in it. But nonetheless, this is something out there that is readily available so that this idea of the four-wind shotgun is something that the United States government actually promoted when we were fighting in the Philippines. If you ever see the movie or read the book by, uh, his name is Richardson, a guerrilla, American guerrilla in the Philippines, 
they talk about how we trained the resistance to build the slam-bang shotgun or the four-wind shotgun. You say, why do they call it the four winds? Because after you fire it, you can instantly take it apart and throw the pieces to the four winds, you see. That's why they called it that. But the slam-bang shotgun itself uh, is a classic, and it was actually used to for the resistance in the Philippines. And our guys there trained the Filipinos, to make them. And the idea in war was to shoot the enemy in the back even with the slam-bang shotgun and then take their good gun from them, take their armaments, you know, blow them away with your improvised shotgun and take their good guns. That was the theory militarily that we utilized in the Philippines. But the idea of making a slam-bang shotgun when this guy came home from the war, he actually made a commercial version of this. And you can find commercially made slam-bang shotguns. He called it the Gorilla Gun. And I don't think it was a financial success or very collectible, but they are slam-bang commercially made shotguns in the U.S. by the guy that uh, did this for the insurgencies and the resistance in the Philippines. So the history of improvised firearms is there, the history of it being readily available, so much so that our own government in the late 60s produced what are commonly called the black books. Now, some of you may have the you know, anarchist cookbook and whatever. Okay, it's fun reading, but, you know, the anarchist cookbook, a lot of bad info in there, a lot of stuff that's dangerous and screwy even though it's so famous. But you see, the black books, as distinguished from the anarchist cookbook, the black books were actually done by the Frankfurt Arsenal, by the U.S. government. And these are government-printed, government-developed uh, improvised weapons. And this information is not copyrighted because it was done by the government. And there are sellers who sell, you can go easily on the internet, Delta Press is one of them. They got black books one, two, and three right there. And they are reprints of the Frankfurt Arsenal's improvised weapons by the U.S. government. So that information is fascinating because it talks about every type of improvised weapon. The idea was to get our forces with the locals to be able to make improvised weapons. There's all kinds of stuff in there, improvised explosive, improvised everything, but there's also improvised firearms. And they take it a step further than even the four winds and slam bangs. It's fascinating uh, reading, again, put out by the U.S. government. And one of the things in that book, even the, I believe it was in book three, was how to make a 12-gauge shotgun out of bamboo. Don't even need pipes. They actually made a bamboo that you wrap with wire and how it works, and it's fascinating. Improvised weapons. Tell me how individuals who can make their own guns at any time with common materials, no gun ban is ever going to work, ever, because we can always make our own. So this theory and this understanding I've had for many, many years, and way back in my days when I was in college, I'll tell you an interesting little story. So I was a writer for the newspaper in college, and I may reveal a secret right now that many people do not know, even to this day, they do not know, 
But in college, we had the college newspaper. I went to Monmouth University. And there was a writer for the paper whose name was Doc Holliday. And in addition to Doc Holliday, there was another guy who wrote called Evan Knappen, and he was president of the student government even. And Evan Knappen would write articles, and Doc Holliday would write articles. And Doc was a real conservative. And even then on a campus, putting out conservative ideas was still uh, challenging, but still legal. I mean, it wasn't cancel culture. At least they tried to make believe they respected freedom of speech, right? You could do this. And what we did with the newspaper is Doc Holliday would write these outrageous conservative columns. And the president of student government, Evan Knappen, would write criticizing Doc Holliday for his articles. So I was constantly criticizing him, and he was criticizing me, and he was putting out his right-wing ideology, and as student government president, I was attacking him. And we had a grand old time going at each other, and everyone you know, knew that well, it wasn't that I wasn't Doc Holliday, right? Yeah, right, because I was, and that's how it worked. So Doc was great. And, man, people couldn't wait to get the student newspaper just to see what outrageous stuff Doc Holliday was going to say. And any of my college buddies know this for a fact. Doc Holliday is legend. But one of the things Doc Holliday did, and I'll never forget, is he took a page from the Frankfurt Arsenal Black Book on how to make a 9-millimeter pistol improvised out of pipe and wood and a nail and just took that government-issued page reprinted it in the newspaper, and then Doc Holliday's byline, and it said, the best argument against gun control. And there, to the whole college, was how to build a 9 millimeter improvised by Doc. Well, when that went, the police, the police were notified at the university, and they weren't really thrilled with what Doc did, but they all said, guess what? Doc has a right to do this. And so even though I'm sure they wanted to throw me out, they couldn't because freedom of speech and my First Amendment rights were good. And, of course, they weren't even sure who Doc Holliday was. But it caused quite a ruckus. And it is the best argument. So that argument is still standing today. It still exists. So whatever they try to do, they're never going to, and it improvised firearms are there. They've been used successfully militarily. They've been all through the ages. People will find a way. So going down these paths of going after gun, ghost guns and homemade firearms, it is futile. Futile and yet just another effort to turn honest citizens into criminals. So this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.